I have never been exposed to such raw intelligence and creativity to see how these dogs solve problems. I'm Phil Haberman, and you're listening to Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Today, Bob Bryant, co-founder of Mission Canine Rescue, shares how they've reunited hundreds of canine veterans with their former military handlers. That reunion is not always an option, so Mission Canine Rescue also has retired working dogs waiting for a forever home. Use the links in the description if you are interested in adopting, donating, or following on social media. If you're new to Dog Words, in each episode, we explore the world of dog care and companionship. We Save Each Other is the motto of Rosie Fund, which simply means the more we do for dogs, the more they do for us, and they already do a lot. You can support Rosie Fund by making a donation on our website or Facebook page. You can also contribute by making a purchase from the store on our website, buying a t-shirt at bonfire.com, or buying our note cards featuring Rosie and Peaches and our shirts on barkyours.com. Links are in the description. Your donations and purchases help fund the Rosie Life Starter Kits that make sure these senior and harder-to-adopt dogs have some of the items they'll need in their forever home. Any donation amount is greatly appreciated, but here are some popular levels. $30 provides a collar and leash for a Rosie Life Starter Kit dog, and $100 covers their entire kit. You can also support Rosie Fund by downloading, subscribing, rating, and most importantly, sharing dog words. Follow us on social media, even if you aren't looking for a dog. Watching and sharing the videos helps our channel gain exposure, bringing awareness to our cause and giving shelter dogs much-needed attention. Our free Rosie Fund YouTube channel offers great videos of Rosie, Peaches, and shelter dogs looking for their forever home. We welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions, especially if you have an idea for a topic or guest. Go to the podcast page at rosiefund.org to share your thoughts. Next time on Dog Words, Amanda McDermott joins us from Dog Mountain, a unique destination that honors the healing power of dogs, nature, love, and art. The mission of Rosie Fund is to provide humans with the resources and education they need to give senior and harder-to-adopt dogs a better life. We thank you for joining our mission. Today's guest on Dog Words is Bob Bryant, co-founder of Mission Canine Rescue. Bob, welcome to Dog Words. Thank you, and I appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast today. We're glad to have you here to represent what I think is just a wonderful organization, and we've had so many great guests on Dog Words that are doing wonderful things for dogs, but really no one who's covering what you're covering. I think this is an overlooked need in animal welfare. We'll learn more about you in a moment, but first tell us what is Mission Canine Rescue? Mission Canine Rescue is a nonprofit organization that's based in Houston, Texas. It was founded in 2013, consists of myself, Kristen Maurer, our president, and Louisa Kastner, our vice president. We bring military and contract working dogs home when they retire from every corner of the world. And whenever possible, we reunite that working dog with the handler that he or she formerly served with. In the last 10 years, we have brought home close to 1,300 dogs, and we've reunited over 640 with handlers that they served with. And we placed the rest in loving homes that are a good fit for their temperament and their environmental needs. 
once in a while you'll see the feel good story on the news or in your social media about the handler who gets reunited with their dog. And sometimes it's an in-depth story that talks about all the hoops that the handler had to jump through in order to get this dog who's been their closest friend for the last one, two, three, four, five, six years. What inspired you to become part of that process to help streamline that? What inspired me was really happen chance. I had no thought of being involved with working dogs or dog rescues or nonprofits as a whole 10 years ago. I met my now partners through an organization that did similar work to Mission Canine. I had offered them the ability to promote a service that I offer. I work in merchant services. That's my primary job. I provide merchant accounts for e-commerce companies. I enable them to accept credit cards. I've been doing that since 2005. And I approached the group that uh, my partners were in now, and I said, hey, you know, I can make you guys some ongoing money month after month. You know, I'd like you to promote this. I like what you do. They did. It worked. We got along. And uh, when their executive director at the time decided that she didn't want to spend money to get more donations, and unfortunately in the nonprofit world, just saying, please, may I, will you, could you, doesn't get you a dime. It requires advertising. It requires some cost. And she didn't want to spend money. Well, when she refused to spend money, the organization failed because she didn't have enough funds to operate. And at that time, she decided to get a quote-unquote real job. And my partners reached out to me and asked me if I would help co-found a new organization, renamed to do exactly what we're doing now. And I didn't even have to think about it. I said yes. So 10 years ago, thousands of dogs, here we are. You were already seeing the good work that they could do if they were to have the funds. How did you step up? Because you went from being a service provider to being integrated into what they were doing. How did your role change? Well, my role changed in that I am particularly, I don't know if blessed is a term for it. Maybe it's cursed. I know how to work social media advertising extremely well and to my favor. And I know how to tell a story that provides impact and results in support for the organization. And while my role before was just to say, hey, call Bob if you need a merchant account. He's great. You know, he does a good job. Went from there to, you know, in the last 20 years, uh, X amount of dogs were euthanized uh, by the military at the end of the program, that doesn't happen anymore. Now these dogs are stuck overseas and we need your help. Well, I took that plea and modified it many different ways and fine tuned it to where I would get as much as 20 times what I had invested on social media. So my gift is the ability to properly word advertisements so that they get good results. And I'm tasked with funding organization, and meeting roughly a $25,000 a week payroll. It's come up so many times on dog words that just having the best of intentions doesn't get you anywhere. You can have the most important cause, the most needy cause, and be doing great work, but it all costs money. 
it, and it doesn't matter how much time an individual has if they're going to volunteer all their time if they don't have the other resources to pay for transporting a dog or pay for a dog trainer or to get the word out that this dog is available or to let the service members know that your organization exists. So it can have all the best intentions in the world, but without that financing, you go nowhere. You don't get anything done. One thing that I would like you to know, as well as anyone listening to this, is that regardless of what any organization is funded throughout the year, when we started, we were working off of $150,000 a year, and now we're working off close to $2 million. But even though that number has risen significantly, 92 cents out of every dollar goes to our work. Nothing is wasted. Nobody flies first class. We don't eat in Michelin five-star restaurants. We don't stay at the fancy hotels. My partners sleep in vans with these dogs on the highways. And uh, I, I mainly want you to know that we are truly no profit. Uh, nobody's getting rich off donor dollars. So that's that. Yeah, and yeah, and I don't doubt that because it's, it's so obvious if someone just goes to your website, goes to the social media, and that will all be linked in the description, the social media for Mission Canine Rescue, they can see how much your organization cares about the animals and uh, their handlers. How do handlers find out about you and the work that you do to help them reunite with their dog? Well, at first it was kind of difficult. Uh, it was a handler to handler thing. Now our, our brand is fairly widely known and we have close to 30 reunions requested in the balance of the year. I mean, it's just like somebody's dog get ready to retire. I need to get my dog home, call mission canine, whether it's from the kennel master or another handler, we're fairly well known for this service at this point. Do you find out about dogs sometimes before? the handler that you know this dog is going into retirement and needs a, a home? Normally, we only hear about the ones that are problem children, dogs that have maybe more than one bite record, maybe dogs that are somewhat unpredictable, that's gone up leash, but this handler and the military doesn't want anything to happen to the dog, so they'll ask us to take it. But no, most of the time, the handlers know. And you may or may not know this. You mentioned something a while ago about somebody working with a dog for five years. In the military, it's more like one or two years. And each dog can have up to five handlers in its career. And somehow the military's got some magic mumbo-jumbo they use where they decide which handler is going to get to adopt the dog when the dog is retired. In most cases, it's the last handler. There are many cases where a handler couldn't adopt his dog, and people say, well, what do you mean? Well, let's say you've got a patrol dog, that, like uh, the one that uh, sniffed out and got Osama bin Laden. You know, that dog doesn't need to be in a house with small children. It's a problem waiting to happen. You know, you've got a handler, he's got little kids. In that case, he may pass the dog to another handler that's not in that living situation, and uh, they visit, they, you know, go see each other. And it's, uh, you know, not the same as having the dog there, but he still had lost his friend. Yeah, there, there's all kinds of 
perfectly good reasons that it may not be a fit. Maybe the handler who's first in line already has a dog. True. And, and uh, a lot of times, you can't just assume the that time, the two dogs will get along. Most of the time, military working dogs and contract working dogs do not like other dogs because mm-hmm. they're segregated to a great extent during their work lives. And you also talk about the problem children, the dog that might have a bite record or gone up the leash. They experience just as much stress as anybody else in the military. And you would not fault someone who's been in action, maybe having a short temper once in a while, or maybe snapping at someone. And uh, that doesn't get them isolated or quarantined, but that's what happens to a dog, unfortunately. And then that goes on their record and could be problematic for any sort of transfer of ownership, even if it's going to the handler. Have you encountered any challenges in getting those dogs reunited? Yes and no. Sometimes, a lot of times when the military pulls a dog and retires it for aggression. Whether we take that dog or not depends on the level of aggression. We're not a hospice. We're not a forever home for these dogs. We don't have the capacity. I mean, we have a capacity for about 60. We're at capacity constantly. I'd like to double it, but doubling it requires doubling our income. And, you know, that's another story we can, (laughs) we can talk, we can talk about later, but, um, I think that uh, with some dogs, it's true. They're just situations, and we talk to the handlers a lot of the times where a situation where a bite occurred, and it was a stressful situation. There may have been another dog present. There may have been some external stimuli that kicked into it. And in those cases, many times when these dogs come into our care, when they're not kenneled every night, when they're in a house, where they're getting interaction constantly that's not negative, those bad habits disappear. And we're rewarded with a dog that acts more like a pet than a performer. Yeah, they need to de-stress just as much as anyone else who's uh, gone through what they and service members go through in defense of our country. Absolutely. Yeah, God bless you for the work that uh, you and your team are doing. Say you have at any given time, about 60 dogs in your care. Does that mean you have 60 fosters or do you have uh, kennel facilities for multiple dogs? How does that, yes, we how do. does that work? We have a ranch in Magnolia, Texas, which is just to the north and east of Houston. On it, we have capacity for 60 dogs. We have large play yards that the dogs go out and spend quality time in every day. They're not kenneled for any excess period of time, but no, when these dogs come into our care, this is their first stop. We call it our veteran canine ranch, and that's where we evaluate them. We take care of anything they need medically related, whether it's vaccinations, whether it's a joint surgery, just uh, we evaluate them and whatever they come in with that needs to be fixed, we fix everything we can. And then we have uh, time to evaluate the dog to see how it is mentally, how it reacts in stressful situations around other dogs, and we can have a better idea of who would be the best adopter for that particular dog. Some dogs are ready for adoption in a couple of weeks. Some are, takes a few months. It just depends. 
just like any other shelter, that you have a variety of, uh, of needs uh, with a variety of dogs. Correct. Uh, one, one thing I'd like to mention to you that we haven't talked about, and this is a common misconception that many Americans have, is that the military automatically pays for these dogs to come home from wherever they are when they're retired. And it's becoming more frequent that the military does put dogs on rotator flights when they're available. However, until this last year, if a guy wanted to get his dog home, he would have to pay or she would have to pay the cost of transport because when the dog is retired, it's no longer considered an asset for the military and it's unable to take transport. Obama signed a portion of the National Defense Authorization Act back in 2016 that included within it a clause that military dogs retired overseas had to have a trip home. Military got around that by calling their foreign operating bases United States soil. And we've gotten to know a lot of people in the military over the years, and now it's better. We, for instance, the Air Force flew two dogs home for us from Korea just last Friday to Seattle, where we met them there, and we had paid for one handler to fly to Seattle to pick up his dog, and then we flew the other dog to Florida to reunite with him. So regardless of who picks up the ticket to get the dog here, there's still stateside transport once the dog is here. So the military just kind of hands off once the dog lands. And also they should know, the public should know that military working dogs and contract working dogs receive no health care. There's no free ticket for them to get care when they need it. And it's up to the adopter. And we want our adopters to know that we expect them to cover the cost of senior veterinary care. It's the least we can do for these dogs that have served. Okay, I'll get off my rant now. Uh, and that's a, an excellent rant, and you raise a lot of important points. And thank goodness that at least some of the transport is covered. And it would be oh, understandable God. for for someone to assume that those dogs get transported to wherever they need to go when they retire, because you you wouldn't have a, a service member retire overseas and it's like, well, you're in Germany. Good luck getting home. Right. <laughs> you, you, you bring them home. You, you took them there. It seems like you would be obligated to bring them home. So at least they're taking some steps. And it, it's, I'm just going to say it's shameful that uh, anybody in our government, military or otherwise, would look for loopholes around that. So I'm, I'm glad talk- you have some connections that uh, are helping you get these dogs home. We do. I'll give you something even more blatant, and that's in the contract working dog world. Now, just for your information and your audience, a contract working dog is owned by private corporation or an individual or a partnership, what have you. They're not government-owned. And many contractors out there that provide dogs overseas for port services, custom searches, they're operating a little less than a shoestring budget. And when the contractor goes broke, the dogs are the first to suffer. The contractors are the ones that will call us and try to help us clean up their mess. You know, we have, you know, here's back in, shoot, this is 2016. We had 20-some-odd dogs that had been stuck in a kennel in Chester, Virginia for over two years because the contractor left them there, never paid the tab. And this guy in the kennel was begging us to take care of them. And these were all part of a huge working dog group that were in Iraq and did just amazing work. 
But when a contractor goes broke, the dogs suffer. I would love everybody to call their congressperson. Now, the military does great with their dogs. The military dogs get Cadillac care when they're actually covered. But contractors, I wish it would be a requirement for any American contractor providing dogs anywhere to guarantee that dog a trip home when it is finished with its contract and health care for the duration of the contract, as well as, you know, particular food guarantees. Because we've received dogs from contractors that normally weigh 70 pounds that weigh 35. They're dumped in kennels and forgotten, and it's wrong. Yeah, there should be a clause in the contract to address all of that. And also, the health care, veterans don't get all of the health care that they've earned, that they often have to fight to get coverage. But the dogs also, I'm not putting the dogs above the, the men and women, but the dogs also should be getting full health care. It shouldn't be a fight to address the health care needs and as much money as, let me reword this, as much of my money as the government spends, I know it can be expensive to take care of a dog, but their lives are so much shorter. Their health care is so much cheaper, but it's not free. And it's certainly not something that a retired service member, especially one that has family that they're providing for, has extra cash laying around for ACL or oncology treatment or any number of things that a senior dog, especially one that's worked as hard as uh, yeah. one of these service dogs Yeah, cancer is the big, uh, is a big cash drain in the working dog world. I had a Labrador retriever, this military working dog. He had a very interesting cancer, came from his anal glands, over $20,000, you know, to buy him two years of quality life. It's just amazing. The organization has spent over $1.5 million on veterinary care alone. And people have the false thought that veterinarians treat the dogs for free or they give deep discounts. They don't. There are some that will do a little bit, but, you know, you can't expect a veterinary professional to give away their time. Mm -hmm. It's just not realistic. They invested in it. They deserve their worth. And so dogs don't get anything for nothing. And even if you had some veterinarian who had no business sense and decided to do that, you can't also then ask all of their vet techs to work for free who are assisting in those surgeries and in those treatments. And uh, the chemotherapy is not free. It's not just their time that they might be generously offering. It's the drugs and the support staff and the utilities, all that stuff that has to be paid they're operating on pretty thin margins to begin with. Veterinarians are already in it, most of them, and certainly all that I have met, because they love animals. They, they already want to help. It's unreasonable to expect them to do it for free. If someone's looking for a cause to support, Mission Canine Rescue is great. If you're looking for a cause to start, maybe look at uh, starting a, a nonprofit that uh, addresses some of these needs that we've discussed, uh, veterinary care for service animals and help support these dogs that have done so much, so much for us. Your ranch, how is that staffed? Is that a a mix of volunteers and uh, staff or how? No, 
Now, due to the nature of our dogs, we don't do a lot of volunteers with hands-on with the dogs. We need to have people that are either certified or can be certified as handlers or have skills with large, aggressive dogs. We have a ranch manager on staff. We have a veterinary technician on staff, and we have around 10 kennel technicians. And all these people are very well qualified to do what they do. And, you know, they work day by day on the handling, care, and keeping of all these working dogs. Well, this is such an impressive organization. It is obviously much needed. Has there been anything over the 10 years that you've been involved in it that has been really eye-opening for you, something that's totally unexpected that now that you're in the midst of it, you realize, wow, this is not at all what I thought it would be. Well, yes, and that's a little disappointment in donors. And that is because donors will fight to get a dog home. But when that dog gets home and all of a sudden he needs hip surgery, crickets. We have to pay for the hip surgery just like we have to pay for the trip home. And none of us are personally wealthy. So, you know, we don't invest our dollars in each activity. And I wish that the public would realize the worth of veterinary care for these dogs is just as much worth them coming home in the first place. If you're not going to get a dog healthy, why bring the dog home? You know, just euthanize it and let it be done. But if you want the dog to have quality of life, you provide the dog with the health care that it needs. That's been an eye-opener. The other eye-opener and this is on a positive note, is just how smart these dogs are. I have never been exposed to such raw intelligence and creativity to see how these dogs solve problems, what they do, even though they can be a little bit, oh, let's see, can I say batshit crazy? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) if that's what they are, yeah. Yes, my canine yesterday, He, I was delighted. I found an open field, green grass, and he's running, having crazy. He likes to eat grass, so he's eating a lot of grass. So what does he do? The dummy eats some, well, I don't know what it is. It's like a, like a little spikes on it or whatever. I've been up nearly 18 hours with this dog trying to calm him down because of his obsessions over some things, eating grass or wanting to find balls 24-7. He's resulted in some interesting finds. He's a drug dog that was retired from a little police department in Canada. He finds me crystal meth. He finds me crack cocaine. He finds lots of weed. You never know what he's going to come up with. And I was going to ask about, just by definition, these are all working dogs that have had a job, and now they're retired Sometimes people have trouble making that transition from working every day to retiring. How how do these dogs adjust? Well, just like the working dogs, I'll drop dead working. They never retire. You may tell them they're retired, but they don't know they're retired. They may be looking for tennis balls, but they're always looking for something. And it's a joy when they find it. And you can see the excitement that dog shows. Hey, look what I found. Look what I found. Where's my reward? You know, you give him his toy and he's a happy camper. They pretty much will wear themselves out. Well, that's one of the important reasons that they're reunited with their handler, not just because this is someone that they already know and love, 
but it's also someone who understands this dog's needs, that they understand I can't just lounge on the couch with this dog. That day may come where that's all the dog can do, but while it still has the strength to work, that handler knows I need to come up with something that this dog believes it's its job. That will Let me tell you one drive. job that was, here was a pretty cool job. A guy gave his dog, Vance, one of our handlers, and his dog, Icar. He lives up in Montana. He taught Icar the scent of elk antler sheds. And he goes out and they search for antlers. I mean, he gets hundreds of dollars a piece for these antler sheds. So Icar is happy and he's making bucks. And that dog could not be happier. Nope, absolutely not. My brother-in-law is a dog breeder of uh, Brock de Bourbonese, and he sells his dogs all over the world. And they don't have a litter until they're already sold. This is not someone who shows up at the Walmart parking lot with a box of puppies. These dogs are working dogs. They're hunting dogs. They're field dogs. The thing that I find most fascinating is if I ever needed to send a dog by plane Anywhere in the country, I would check with my brother-in-law because there are some airlines, depending on where you're routing the dog, you do not want to book. And there are others that, yes, this is the one you want to book. Have you figured out a network for transport between your airlines and your people sleeping in vans? Yes, and it's getting very smaller every day. Uh, Right now, there are only two airlines that will transport dogs the size of the dogs that we transport, meaning Shepherds, Malinois, Labradors, and that's KLM and a United. And it just, depending where they're coming from, we've had absolute hell getting a dog back from Korea every time there's been a transportation problem. And so what we wind up doing whenever we can, it's often cheaper for us to take a one or two people and go to wherever the dogs are, let's say Kuwait, for instance. And then rather than pay individually for a dog that is crated, they all fly in cargo. They they don't fly in cabin. Now with our military dogs locally, Southwest rolls out the red carpet and our dogs fly in cabin when they're not a risk. I won't put a dog as a risk to the public ever on on an airplane. But um, when we fly over, say, Kuwait, We can fly up to four dogs with us as excess baggage on the way back, and it's about half the cost of the normal transport. So, yes, we've found some creative ways. We've also found some creative ways to get around the rabies ban that the CDC introduced uh, two summers ago to ban dogs coming in the United States from hot countries. Let's, Mm -hmm. Let's say Iraq, Iran. Afghanistan, North Africa, Tunisia, et cetera. We had to stop those dogs in another country and let them amass a little bit of time and then brought them to the United States. And these are dogs that have perfectly clean health certificates. Mm-hmm. You know, health is immaculate. They've There's had no all their shots. Risk. Yeah. Everything. And we can prove it. You know, even titer tests and everything. But no. So, uh, but they're here. And I'll just leave it at that. Yes, uh, my brother-in-law, when they sell a dog to Europe, they fly with it. But when it's in the United States, if it's a flight, he knows, depending on where they're being routed through, where there's a layover, he knows what airlines 
take the dogs off the plane and walk them and which ones oh, yeah. have air conditioning and which ones don't and 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 all of that he should probably start a website there might be a a, a demand for that i'm so delighted that you've been able to share your story with us on dog words if someone wants to see more of your work or someone wants to donate again there's going to be links in the description but tell them about where they need to go all right my temptation is to tell you where to give your money first but i'm not going to do that to see our most current work go to facebook our page is mission k9 it'll show some of our new dogs that have been uh, recently brought into our intake It'll show you some of the reunions we've had recently, especially the ones up in uh, Seattle and also in Florida. Uh, if you'd like to donate, go to missionk9rescue.org, and there's just a big red button that says donate, or if you'd like to adopt, the website's also the place to go, missionk9rescue.org. Click adopt, read the page, make sure you understand it, then you can apply. And we appreciate Every one of our donors and 92% of your dollar goes to our work. I use the other eight cents to advertise to get another 92 cents. And we didn't really talk about adoption, but we did touch on not all dogs can be reunited with their handlers for a variety of reasons. The the handler might not be alive. It might not be a fit. Mm -hmm. There are these dogs available for adoption. I guarantee you they know all their basic commands. Yes, they do. You're not going to have to train them to sit and stay or any number of probably dozens of other beyond basic. You do have to potty train them because these dogs have been in kennels all their life. And we don't always get that job done down at the ranch. So it's very simple. I mean, most dogs, they don't want to go where they live anyway. So it's not a problem. And again, these are smart dogs. They're easily trained, especially for something like you just mentioned that they would have a propensity to do anyway, that they would possibly figure it out on their own if you weren't a a good enough handler to train them for that. So there's adoption opportunities, but of course, yes, there are always donation opportunities, and those links will all be in the description. Bob Bryant, co-founder of Mission Canine Rescue. Thank you for the work you do. Thank you for being on Dog Words, and uh, I'll let you get back to fundraising. Philip, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. I'm Phil Hatterman, and you've been listening to Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Thank you to Bob Bryant of Mission Canine Rescue for joining us today. Links to their online channels are in the description. Even if you aren't adopting or donating, just following them helps their important work gain more exposure. Next time on Dog Words, we visit Dog Mountain, a unique place that I hope inspires a lot of copycats or copy dogs. A big thank you to alternative string duo The Wires, featuring cellist Sasha Groshong and violinist Laurel Morgan Parks for playing the wonderful music you've heard on today's and previous episodes of Dog Words. Supporting The Wires supports our mission. Learn more about The Wires, including their concert schedule at thewires.info, and download their music on iTunes. Check out fiddlelife.com and learn to play fiddle and cello fiddle online from Laurel and Sasha, even if you've never played before. Join Laurel and Sasha as they explore new music and delve into the inspiration behind each work as hosts of Sound Currents on 91.9 Classical KC. Click on the Sound Current links in the description for more information. Go to rosyfund.org to shop and get links to our social media, 
As always, please download, follow, rate, and share Dog Words. This helps us with sponsorships, then Rosie Fund can help more dogs. Send us your comments, questions, and suggestions via the contact form at rosiefund.org, and let us know if you would like to be a sponsor or a guest of the Dog Words podcast. Thank you for listening to Dog Words, and remember, we save each other. Thank you.